We're going to continue in worship this morning in our series we call Next. It's funny, Mike says that our speaker levels are reasonable, but I, I like it when they're not. <laughs> this, maybe is that just me? Is that just me? Anybody like loud stuff? Yeah, there you go. Look at all the people like loud stuff in here. All right. Maybe we should set according to our preference. <laughs> loud people in the front. I don't know. Amen? Okay. It's you guys. Amen. I got to get an A today. All right. No. So we're going to go back into a series that we started in January. We started January 1. We started, no, actually, that's not true. January 6th, we had Elaine here from Kenya, Africa. Praise God for that, right? Um, and we've had all these opportunities. But the week after that, we started this new series called Next. It's a study of the book of Joshua. We told you we're going to walk through the entire book of Joshua. And then we took a break around Easter to take a few weeks. And then we did some other stuff. And we're going to continue in worship. We believe that God is knitting together this, like, eternal story. I hope that you're on mission with that. I hope that whether you're, you know, here for one Sunday or you're here every Sunday, I hope that wherever you are, you're attending to what God is doing in your life. Do you believe that he can do that? Like, do you believe that if you show up somewhere else one week or if you're here, that God can knit together a story he's trying to tell you about your life? I believe you can do that. And, and, and uh, as we uh, continue in this book of Joshua, we're going to pick up right where we left off. If you're paying attention, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, we left off at Joshua 8.29, and uh, we're going to pick up right there this morning. But the funny thing about the story of Joshua, we're going to pick up where we left off, is it was kind of this weird time, right? I mean, Joshua was to inherit the promised land. I want you to catch you up a little bit to remind us all where we were at. Moses had been leading the people through the desert. They had been freed from slavery. We talked about that last week, right, about how they, they had been given this plunder from their enemies the Israelites had and then they got to the desert and they decided to to turn the plunder into an idol and they worshiped it and God was fiercely angry about such a misappropriation of his gifts he was completely completely upset about this and, and we know that story well because of that and other sins the Israelites com commit in the desert their lack of faithfulness in the dry seasons of life and I hope you understand that that God wants us to be faithful whenever it's green and flush and glorious and wonderful and he wants us to be faithful whenever it's dry and barren and you feel abandoned and alone scriptures are full of both of those truths he asks for us to believe in him at all times and because of the unfaithfulness in the desert he tells the Israelites you will not inherit the promised land you won't see it but your children will. And the children get to inherit. Joshua is part of that story. Now, Joshua was in the desert. And a few other people that we'll talk about it as we continue through the book of Joshua. So he gets the privilege, and Moses gets to the mountain where he can see the promised land. He says, I'm not going with you because of the sin that we've committed. I will, I will die here, but you will go on to inherit the promised land. The story of Joshua is a story of promise and hope and a new obedience to God, a new obedience for the people of God. And so it's this great thing. Well, he's, he has, the Israelites have seen miraculous things. You know, it starts out like be strong and courageous, but it's miraculous stuff that God does. And one of the things that happens is kind of epic, you know, God's epic stuff, is they get to the Jordan River and he stops the flow of the Jordan at flood stage. That's what the word says. And you remember that they go across and the priests put their foot in the water and the water piles up and they cross over and all God's people are delivered right to the doorstep of Jericho. Remember the, we talked about the battle of Jericho and how right outside the camp and there's 
this prostitute in there, and she sees the people of God. And more importantly, she sees God on their side, and she sees the sin of her people and her king who's obstinate, and she decides to, to make a treaty with the Israelites to, 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 for a hope of salvation, and God saves her from Jericho when it falls. But Jericho falls. you remember the story? And the walls came down. When the people were obedient to God, the walls came down. But the next part of the story is they get into the desert and they're starting to be worried. What am I going to do? And there's this thing that happens that I, where they, they, they begin to assume, to presume upon God's good grace, that he's going to go before them all the time, no matter what. And they don't even consult him anymore. And they sin. They keep things back. And we talk about that. Lance talked about that. He did a great job expounding the idea of Achan's sin and how it cost the whole community the opportunity to take I the first time. And yet, and this is where we're going to pick up today, as, as, as Joshua was maybe ready to move on, you know, past that sin barrier and I, God said, now, Joshua, now that you're listening to me, I want you to take all your men and go take I. And they do. They take I. And the interesting thing about where we're at, we're in, we're in um, Joshua chapter 8, verse, um, verses 30 through 35 today, but what's interesting about where we're at today is this. They're right in the middle of battle, I mean, they're right in the middle of this huge, epic story, this huge journey with God. And they've done small things to save them. They put the rocks by the Jordan and said, remember that God delivered you through the water and all this stuff. But today, Joshua does something interesting. He stops the people to worship. He stops the entire campaign to worship. And why it's interesting, if you read ahead in the scripture, what comes next is war, 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 war. It's not like they're of arrived. It's not like the thing is over. It's not like they're even not at risk right now. I mean, it's huge risk for the people of Israel. And yet Joshua stops and he worships God. It's funny because I was thinking about the idea of real worship, and we here at Family Bible say, you know, we, we have this slogan, used to use it, and it's still kind of lingering, and it's always in our thoughts and it's in our DNA. Authenticity, real worship, real people, real faith, right? Real passion, and you can just put that real word in front of anything. God loves authentic people. He loves a broken and contrite heart. He loves you to say, I agree with them. I am a sinner saved by grace. He loves it when you're honest with yourself. The truth is that Joshua leads people into real authentic worship. And I think, well, what's that look like for us as a culture? Well, I want to show you a few things. It's funny. The thing that comes to mind for me, maybe it's because I'm a guy, and this is really funny because I was a band geek, but the first thing I thought of when I thought about a war and a celebration in the middle of a war, I thought of, Football. I know it's the wrong season for football. You good baseball fans are like, come on, really? Can we? You know, baseball, there's no war in baseball, is there? You know, it's played on a diamond. You know what I mean? You, you steal things. I don't know, whatever, right? The old George Carlin routine. Football's on a gridiron. You know what I mean? You battle it out, you know? You know, I actually read something about sports recently. They said that football has some, now you guys can get mad at me for football people, but football has less running in it than in almost any other sport. Do you think that's true? Like, it's less running in it because it's such short. They, they said, I can't remember what the number was. It was like football players, because of the diversification of positions, because they don't have to run every play and all that stuff, it's about 17, what was it, 17 or 7, 12 minutes a game. They actually run. The rest of the time they're, I mean, it's great for TV because they stand around a lot, like between, any, you know, between downs, innings, baseball. Nice. Right? But we love it. It's like, it's like gladiators for the American, you know, people, right? It's like, my team. 
Well, what's funny to me, I thought about real worship. And you think about real worship, by the way, if you want to see some real worship, do a couple things. Like, go to a secular concert, man, where people aren't talking about Jesus, and they're just going, look at how great I am. And people be like, yeah, you're awesome. You know what I mean? People in the front row, I'm so close to you. And they're just people. They're just people. Go to a NASCAR event, right? They're just driving cars in circles. And you're like, yeah, drive the car in circles. <laughs> I love NASCAR. My wife was like, turn it down. Like, I can't hear the cars. You know what I mean? Oh, boy, you guys, all right? Football, man, your team, you're battling out. Fourth down and 10. Man, they're going to make the play, and your guy breaks through, and he's running, and he goes all the way. What do you do? You're like, yeah. I got a great picture when the New York Giants won the Super Bowl at my house. We were going to have a party. My brother-in-law didn't want to have anyone else at my house. He said, nobody can come over. And he sat in front of the big TV. We actually put the projector on the wall. He was like, and there was a picture when they won, and he just jumps up. I got a picture of him in his Giants jersey. He's like, yeah, he's just elated, right? That's why I thought about I thought of real worship. Why don't you watch this video? Check it out. You big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, singing We will, we will rock you We will, we will rock you Buddy, you're a young man, hot man, shouting in the street Gonna take on the world someday You got blood on your face, you big disgrace Waving your banner all over the place these grown men do this, right? And the question is, like, for you, what do you do when you have a great victory in the middle of battle? These guys are, like, thinking up stuff. Whenever I win, man, I'm going to do this thing. You know, and they, what, what, I've seen one guy doing the, the worm in the end zone. Have you seen the worm before? That is crazy. And then one dude's like, I'm going to do the worm with one hand. He's doing this worm like a cow, like a rodeo cowboy, you know? This is crazy. I'm not going to do it. I will get hurt, okay? I've seen my brother-in-law actually, my other brother-in-law stories, he got hurt one time trying to do the worm at a wedding. I'm not doing that. What is it, though, that we go, I'm going to celebrate what I've done? 
Joshua and the Israelites could have done anything in this moment. I mean, they're, and, and let's just be real about it. They're, they're, they're now listening to God. They're attentive to God. They just had victory over I. After a huge defeat, right, there, there was a nemesis win. And they could have done anything. And in the moment, Joshua, they could have been like, yeah, look at Israel, look at us, or whatever. And they don't, right? Well, recently there's been a different kind of celebration. I wanted to show you this video as well. Watch this. This drive. Does the drive continue here? Jets show blitz. They're going to bring it. Tebow trying to run around the corner. Tebow's got a first down and more. He might score. Touchdown! Anybody know what that's called? Huh? T-bowing. It's a verb. It's a verb. This dude who played, and I don't know where you're at with Tim Tebow, right? But I don't know where you're at in the spectrum with him or whatever, and I don't even really care. Because this dude decided, for whatever reason, and this has been like a long time since he's like, what, a Florida Gator? This was his conviction, is that, is that in this moment, I'm going to bow before the king. I'm going to give glory to God. And, 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 you know, this is, this is 18 months ago. It's so funny because people are so fickle, man, because they're, Tebow is over. You know what I mean? Like, it's over. People just, Tebow, his life's over. But here he was. He's like, I'm going to give glory. And then interesting thing ha- happened, you see, because see, people saw this on national TV I- instead of this. You know what I mean? Instead of the river dance. You see that? I mean, just the guy took the camera and pointed it. What's the guy doing with the camera? I mean, one guy pulled a cell phone out of the goalpost and was like calling people. I, I don't even get it. And this dude's like, you know what I'm going to do in this moment? I'm going to take this great and glorious moment. I'm going to take this moment, and I'm just going to pray. People saw this on the sidelines before the game. They saw this whenever he was winning and when he was losing, and it began to start. It started something, you see. There were some people at a bar watching a game about 18, about uh, 16 months ago or so, and, and they decided... Hey, they were so excited their team won to come, beh- come behind win that they said, let's go outside and do a picture. And they did this outside of the bar. Had a friend take a picture, put it on Facebook. Thing goes nuts. Everyone's starting to do this. Let's T-bow together, right? Now, not everybody can dance, but everybody can T-bow. And they start this thing and it just blows up and it's going crazy. And the, the star athlete, he gets this twit pick from this kid. I want to get his name here. This big mega star, right? Superstar, Tim Tebow. He, he gets this picture tweeted from Joey Norris. Joey Norris, I'm going to read his actual, his actual um, the words he tweeted out. He says this, I'm Tebowing while chemoing. I'm a cancer survivor who is trusting you with his fantasy team. And I hope you're not annoyed with me. Something began to happen when people saw that there's something bigger going on. And, and this kid, when he saw it, his fantasy team superstar quarterback said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that too, right? Man, if, I don't know if you've know, ever seen kids with cancer. That, that doesn't look like the middle of victory. All of a sudden, there's a bigger picture about what God is doing. 
about what's happening. And then, as you already know, it became a verb, T-bowing. And, uh, and then I'll show you one last thing, and then we're going to jump into the word today. Check this out. He's a follower. He's a slave maker. And a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-bowed. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win game. Listen. I got T-bowed. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, 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 he, all he does is unleash. So T-bow, let him go. It's time. Turn him loose. Let him play. Let him play. On Sunday. Unleash. So T-bow, let him go. It's time. Turn him loose. Let him play. I'm going to church Sunday. Run pass option. I think that's my game. I guarantee you that. I'm no Don Elway. He's rewriting the book. We get it, we count. He's a unique football player. That's what Tim Tebow's all about. He's a gamer. He's a playmaker. Shot caller. He's a gamer. He's a playmaker. Shot caller. Unleash Tim Tebow. Let him go. It's time. Turn him loose. Let him play. Let him play. Okay, on Sunday. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. One more day. One more win. All, all, all he does is win game. Isn't that funny? Man, that was a few months ago. People were like, all he does is win. All he does is win. I'm going to church. Yeah, dude, I'm going to church. All he does is win. And then that quickly, people turn. Well, today I'm going to jump. We're going to jump in five verses, all we're going to cover today in Joshua. And ask, what does it look like when we're winning and losing? What does it look like for us to worship God in those moments? Please pray with me if you would. Father God, today as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would divinely inspire us to understand it. More, more than just pay, paper and, and text, Father, but the reality of our life, that we could live it out well, that we could be obedient to our call. We, we see everyone else around us, and we wonder, well, Lord, how can I be like that, or how can I do that? Or, and yet you haven't called us to that, Father. You've called us to our own response, to our own worship, to our own following after you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this time, you would teach us more about what it looks like to really worship you really worship you in the middle of battle, that you'd be glorified, and that your people, your people would be encouraged to fight on. We pray this in the all-powerful, eternal, and forever glorious name of Jesus, King Jesus. Amen. We'll turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Joshua 8. We're going to jump in here. It's only five verses, like I said. And it's profound. I want you to keep in mind that this is right in the middle of all the fighting, right in the middle of it. Joshua has this encounter. It says this in verse 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites to do. He built it according to what is written in the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. And on it they offered the burnt offerings and sacrifice fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelite, Joshua copied the stones of the law of Moses onto stones which he had written, right? I'm gonna stop there. So the first thing that happens is right in the middle of this for Joshua is that he, he, he begins by building this altar. This isn't the first time they've had this kind of experience. And Moses said, when you get to this place, you're gonna do this. And he comes to this middle and he, he erects this place of worship to God. He builds it out of stones, and it's interesting because they took the stones from the river, but these stones, they stacked them up. And what's really wild is that, you know, now there, there's actually a place where they've found where this is archaeologically there, but underneath it is this ancient stone ring that was built up in the time of the Israelites inheriting the promised land. And, and he constructed it 
and he began to write the law on stone. Permanence, a place of worship, an opportunity to follow God. He invited everyone to be part of this. But you see, here he is, and he's building this altar, bringing glory to God. And, and I don't know where you are, you know, but I think if I was in the middle of battle, I'd say, well, I'll come back later and worship. You know, i got things i got to do right now. I'll be back in a little bit. But he stops everything. Uh, we're going to get an idea of the scale of what happens here. And it's kind of funny that Team Honduras shared today. It's not funny. It's God. Because there's a scale to things that we try to do. There's a scale to things that God is doing amongst his people. And there's a huge scale of what's happening with the Israelites inheriting the promised land. But the first thing that I want you to see, and it already happened, it kind of happened before he gets here, is that real worship restores relationship. It renews relationship. And this is true for everyone. It renews relationship between the people of God and God. You see, there's a moment here where we can become self-deceived to think we are doing this. It's on us. We're pulling it off. But the reality is that when we come into worship, we realize again our need for God's eternal presence. As a matter of fact, every time in Scripture you see people lose their faith, walk away from God, things begin to go wrong. Truth is that real worship always begins, and I, I want to invite all of you into this, that true worship begins with you talking to God. It begins with you renewing your passion to follow him, to know him. And, and, and real worship also renews relationships between people. I remember before I knew Christ, there were people I just didn't understand, I didn't get, and in Christ I began to understand what was happening. We all complain and say the world doesn't understand us, but they wouldn't because they don't worship the same king we worship. And yet when they do, something changes in the relationship we have with God. The truth is, and this is something that won't go away for Israel. It will never go away for you and I. The truth is that real worship will invite us into a conversation with God. And if you're here today and you're here for a show or you're here for a performance, you're here for a thing, you're missing the opportunity to dialogue with God who made you. That's what worship does. It invites us in to the holy place, to a God who is ever-reaching. What a great word this morning in worship. Beautiful. Praise God. And, and, and there's two things I want to point out about the offerings that they make. The first is that it's a, it's a burnt offering. They build this altar, and they have a burnt offering. And when you burn stuff, it smokes, right? So this idea is going up, you know? And but they have the Ark of the Covenant with them. But then the second thing is it's a thank offering. It's called a peace offering, right? And, and it's literally a meal that you share with God. You see, when you bring a peace or a thank offering, what you do is you take your best, your, 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 your best lamb, your best you know, whatever you have traveling with you, you're, remember they got all livestock from there. It means they got, they got all the stuff they're traveling with, not just people, and they bring it to the altar that Joshua built and they kill it and they offer it up to God in this burnt offering and they have peace and they give thanks and they Never forget the God who is delivering them. That's what it means, literally. It's, it's this idea of thanking God in the middle of the battle. 
And that's what they chose to do, to stop and to worship through, through not just burnt offerings, but thank offerings, peace offerings before the holy God. Thank you for your deliverance. And my question for you today, the first question on your sheet today is this, what could you be thanking God for right now? You know, I talk to a lot of you and life's hard and things are tough and I get that, man. But I got news for you. You should be able to wake up every morning and you should be able to think of things you can thank God for every day, Right? I mean, things aren't going well for you, great. Look around your life and find one thing you can thank God for. And then you just go to him in that altar and you just lay it down and you say, God, I thank you for this. I I thank you for whatever it is for you. What should you be thanking God for in your life right now? Israelites had a lot to be thankful for. So do you and I. And I hope that we begin in our relationship with God saying thanks. God, thank you for the smallest thing. Talking to somebody this morning. How you doing? Good. Good. I'm breathing. Praise God. Listen, you're breathing. Praise God. You got all that breath in your lungs to complain about life. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) You know, it's a gift. You don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We could be gone tomorrow. Praise God. We're still breathing. I mean, you could start right there. Just anything in your life, I would encourage you, be thankful. Thankfulness. It says, Paul says that this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, to thank him for everything. And that's where worship begins in that relationship. The second thing I want you to see, and it's in Joshua 8.33. Check it out. It says this. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, that's 32, I apologize, that he had written, all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests, who were Levites. Half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave the instructions to bless the people of Israel. I want to skip down. Look at 35 with me. It says there at the end of it, it says, there was not a word that all Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children, the aliens who lived among them. I want you to see that the truth is that real worship is for all people. It's for all people. It wasn't that the priests went into a secret room and worshiped God on their own and came back out and said, yeah, God's still here, it's cool. They invited everyone to come and worship with them. And here's what's wild. Did you catch what it said about the two mountains? It said that the people were divided half in front of each mountain. Now, I don't know how many worship services you've been to where the people are divided half in front of each mountain, but you start to understand there's a scale issue happening here. What family are you from? Oh, you're on the mountain to the right. <laughs> you know what I mean? What fam- you're on the mountain to the left. It was this valley that was filled with Israelites. Here's some numbers for you. They thought there were about 22,000 Levite priests. 22,000 thousand priests present they figure in front of each of those mountains was about 1.25 million million people you go what man i can't there's people who are like total archaeological bible nerds and they check this stuff out and they're like dude there's a lot of people 
Like, this isn't just, you know, 12 tribes, but each tribe has their own leaders and judges, and there's all these people, and you start to count for women and children. You hear what it said. And not just women and children, but foreigners among you, the aliens, the people who are just there with the Israelites at the mountain and the worship, and you can get lost in a crowd of 1.25 million, you know what I'm saying? They were all invited into worship. Actually, what's funny is, Mike, what you shared today, is uh, they were all called to give the amen. That's what happened when he read the law. They were all called to give the amen. And he read from these two mountains. All the law of Moses. All the law of Moses. And my challenge, my question for us today, and I think this is still very appropriate, is who does God want you to invite into his worship? I don't mean at family Bible. I mean into his presence. Like who in your life are you thinking? Man, because here's what happens. We get there and we're like, oh, I love worshiping God. I love worshiping Jesus. But then we kind of close down the idea that someone isn't here that should be here with us. Not again at family Bible, but before the cross of Christ. Who are you not inviting in, including in worship? You go, well, it's not for those kind of people. Listen, he said elders. He said judges. He said priests. He said all the people of Israel. He said aliens and foreigners. He said women and children. He said everyone was included in worship. And real worship says, come on, worship God. Come on, worship. I don't even know if I believe this stuff. That's all right, come worship God. I've I, I just been thinking about it for a while. That's all right, come on and worship God. And he invites, and he invites, and he invites. You know what happened? Uh, In in, uh, my story, maybe yours is like it. People invited me, someone, (laughs) many Christians have looked at me and said, it's not for this guy. But someone said, you should be doing this too. This This is what you need. This is gonna change your life. I didn't even believe that. I showed up anyway. And they kept saying, come on, worship God. Today, maybe that's you. I say, come on, worship God. Maybe we're going to, last song today, come on and worship God. Just let go, worship God. He's inviting all of us in. I don't know who it is for you. You should ask yourself that question, though. Who is God asking you to include, you know? Joshua is just like standing there. By the way, 22,000 priests begin to read the law to all the people, chanting it out, echoing through the mountains. Echoing through the mountains, the law of God. It's really wild. The last point today is this. Real worship is always a blessing and a challenge. It's always a blessing and a challenge. And I know some of you guys come here and you're like, man, that was great today. And some of you guys come here and go, oh, why are you talking about that stuff? That hurts. And that's always the experience we have when we encounter the word of God. I told you there was two mountains that they were setting before. The really wild thing about this worship service of this 2.5, approximately or up to 2.5 million people gathered to worship and hear the law read that Moses had commanded to be read to them. When they were gathered up, they stood in front of these two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, Right? And the really wild thing, and you can look this up on your own. We don't have time today, but you can look up on your own. It's in chapters 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy. I'd encourage you to write it down. 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy, if you want to check it out for yourself. When Moses told the Israelites, when you get to the promised land and you see these mountains, you should divide up, you should build an altar, and you should worship God there. No matter what else is going on in your life, stop and worship God there. And they're being obedient as the Israelites have been learning to be. 27 and 28. The funny thing is that Mount Ebal was the, the mountain of curses, right? And if you, lead, if you read um, Deuteronomy 27, it says like, you know, God, God curses those who do this. And the people on that mountain say, amen. And God curses those who do this, amen. 
But, you know, this funny thing is that we're, we're those people. And then on the other side, what does it call it? Gerizim, right? God blesses those who do this. That's 28. And they say, amen. God bless those. Amen. So be it. This is the way God works. Blessings and challenges. Blessings and curses. And, and Joshua taught the whole law. He wasn't afraid to teach the truth to the Israelites. This is what God expects. This is what God desires. In front of these two, I just think what a glorious scene for God. What a huge deal that God would uh, set up such a worship service for himself. A blessing and a challenge. Many times, many of you, I tell you what, you don't want to read scripture, right? Because you get in there and you, and you just go, oh gosh, that's me. You know what I mean? I mean, you just see the people in there and their sin and you're like, oh gosh, that sounds like my life. And it hurts. I want you to understand that that's an amen moment. Amen. Amen. Oh, this lifestyle is killing me. God didn't design me that way. Amen. Oh, this isn't going to work out well for you. God never intended you to live that way. Amen. Oh, God blesses people like this. We go, that's good. Amen. It should feel that way when you read Scripture. And if you, if you read Scripture and you don't find any curses, I mean, if you read Scripture and you don't find any pain, I think you're misreading Scripture. Amen. Yeah. And if you read Scripture and you don't find any joy, if you read Scripture and you don't find any blessing, I think you're misreading scripture. Amen. I want to close with this um, final thought. How do you apply the truth of God's word to your life, right? I mean, how are you applying it every day in your life? And I don't stand up here as one who's doing it perfectly before you. As a matter of fact, and I heard a pastor say this one time, I think, man, there's some truth in those words. It, it seemed like those of us who are called into ministry and preaching the word are called because we need to be more obedient. We need to be more disciplined. We need to be more, you know, I don't know what it is, but we have to be forced to be engaged in some way with this conversation with God. Not that I don't desire it. I do. You know me. I love it. But there's a truth that I have this tendency to forget to walk away, to have the touchdown celebration for myself and not take a knee before the holy God. The truth is that you and I are invited in to, to apply the truth of God's word in our lives. Do you do that? I mean, do you take the grid and just lay it over your body and look down and go, oh, gosh. Or, ooh, good. You know what I mean? Is it the marker that you're using to measure yourself with? Uh, I hope that it is. I want to share uh, a final verse with you. It comes from Hebrews. Hebrews is great because, well, Hebrews is great. The whole Bible's great. But Hebrews is great because uh, it, it begins to tell this narrative of the Israelite people and in Christ, the salvation that was found in Christ. And way back in the day, there was this high priest called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was caught in the middle of the desert. He caught Abram. And it says Abram that was following God stopped and gave Melchizedek 10% of all of his stuff, which the Israelites think, that's crazy because this guy, who's this guy, right? But it says he was eternally existing. Melchizedek was an eternally existing priest priests. I want to read to you something from Hebrews chapter 7 verses 21. Listen to the word of God. 
but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, this is about Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of his oath, listen to the author, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better promise for you and me. Now, there have been many of those priests since the death prevented them from continuing office. You know, he's saying, you got to keep coming. You got to keep coming. You got to keep coming. But listen to what it says. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In Christ, we have this perfect offering and he continually stands before us as he invites us in to worship, continuously worship Jesus. Real worship doesn't happen on church on Sunday morning only. It happens every day of our life. It happens when you wake up in the morning. It happens when you go to sleep at night. It happens when you sit with your kids. It happens all the time. Are you worshiping Jesus really? He's your great high priest and he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you and for me, praying for you and for me. 26, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, listen, blameless, listen, pure, listen, set apart for sinners, exalted above all the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need other sacrifices day after day for in his own, for his own sins and then the sins of other people because he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Because the law appoints a high priest, men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son of God, who has been made perfect forever, right? That's why we worship Jesus. That's why we follow him. That's why we make much of his name. Here's the last thing. 10, chapter 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened through us through the curtain, that curtain is his body. And since we have a great priest over the household of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Listen to this today. I hope this sets in you today. In full assurance of faith, listen, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us and having our bodies washed with pure water. And in 23, let us therefore hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because the one that made the promise is faithful. The truth about real worship is it's all about drawing near to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's true. No matter where you are in your life, and if you've been following you, oh, I was born and raised in church, man. Praise God. Draw near to Jesus. And if today you're like on the out, and you're like, man, I'm so far from God. Draw near to Jesus. Can we just say that today? Wherever you are, draw near to Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, your people and holy mountain, amening your law, blessings and curses. How much more should we who've been offered this new promise in Jesus draw near to you by his body? How much more should we be bending a knee every day in thanksgiving for the great and perfect sacrifice? Today, Father God, I pray that all of us would take that invitation to draw near to you. That we would enter into the only holy door, 
the body of Jesus Christ, that we would believe in his sacrifice on the cross for our sin, that we would worship him in spirit and in truth, and we would know him more intimately than ever. And Father, this prayer is for everyone gathered here today, all the children in nursery, all the kids in blast. May we all be drawn in to a relationship with Jesus. And may we worship you really. I mean, may we worship you in the valley when things are tough. And may we worship you on the mountain and things are great. Oh God, forgive us for the times that we've abandoned you while you were delivering us to the desert and the mountaintop. Father God, today for those hearts that are here that feel far from you, I pray you would draw them near by your spirit. Father, not, not of our construct, but of your glory. They could enter in maybe for the first time to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. May you be glorified as your people draw near to you through worship and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.